Welcome to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that testify of Christ's teachings, His life, ministry, and mission, and His sacred atonement. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to be on this beautiful campus with you today. I thank President Samuelson for this opportunity, and I thank each of you for the great spirit that you bring to this gathering this morning. Today, I'd like to consider one of the most basic tenets of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, that of agency. Elder Richard G. Scott has called agency a vital element in our Father in Heaven's plan of happiness. And Elder Robert D. Hales has said, our use of agency determines who we are and what we will be. While agency is a powerful eternal principle, our approach to decision-making can be considered its mortal embodiment. Agency and the ability to make our decisions on our own are great blessings bestowed by a loving Heavenly Father on each of His sons and daughters. In 2 Nephi we read, Therefore, cheer up your hearts, and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves, to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. Choice is inevitably accompanied by opposing forces. Opposition is, in fact, the very essence of choice. Today, I'd like to focus my remarks on some of the principles and processes of righteous decision-making. In the last chapter of Joel in the Old Testament, we read of a place called the Valley of Decision, a place where multitudes of people will be gathered to prepare and await the Lord's second coming. I like the powerful imagery of this phrase, the valley of decision, because I see it as analogous to the young adult stage of life, the current stage for the majority of you in this audience today. Most of you have already made the wise decision to further your education, but you may now be choosing what to study, what classes to take, and what career path to pursue. You may have already had your roommates assigned to you, but you have the choice of whom to spend time with and how to spend your time. Hopefully, you are considering serving a mission, or if you have already served, you are choosing to maintain the righteous habits you acquired on your mission. And I suspect that more than a few of you are deciding whom to date and even whom to marry and when. The list of decisions each of you face goes on and on. At this busy intersection of adolescence and adulthood, you are experiencing one of the highest per diem decision rates that you will ever face in mortality. And if you learn to make decisions according to the Lord's process, you will form one of the habits most critical both to your earthly success as well as your eternal success. Let's for a moment reflect on the most basic elements of the decision-making process. When presented with a choice, our perspective and our attitude combine to largely determine the course of action we will pursue, 
in other words, the decision we make, as outlined in this diagram. Now, for discussion's sake, let's simplify our alternatives regarding decision-making processes into two broad categories. One is making decisions the Lord's way, and the other is making decisions the world's way. We'll begin with a closer examination of the world's way of making decisions. Let's use the example of choosing a career path as our choice or decision to be made and assume two possible outcomes, career option A and career option B. Now, the world's perspective on such a significant decision would certainly consider financial ramifications, potential for prestige and power, and ease of acquisition. And a worldly attitude might include such things as self-centeredness, a sense of entitlement, and even political correctness as major factors in selecting between careers A and B. Working together, the influence of perspective and attitude will largely determine the decision we make, or in other words, which career path we choose to follow. The result of following the world's process of decision-making in selecting a career would greatly favor certain professions over others. In contrast, let's now take a closer look at making decisions the Lord's way. We'll begin with the same choice, that of which career path to follow, but since we know that all things are spiritual to the Lord, we'll consider a spiritual perspective and a spiritual attitude in this process. A spiritual perspective would first and foremost consider eternity. It would be rooted in gospel principles, and it would allow for a quality journey. And a spiritual attitude would be infused with humility, gratitude, and faith. For example, opportunities to provide service to others, to strengthen one's family, and to spend meaningful time in church callings would all be considered in the Lord's process. When a spiritual perspective and a spiritual attitude are factored into a major decision, such as the choices of a career, the resulting action might well be quite different than that which follows when we follow the worldly decision process. Now, let's superimpose one of my favorite scriptures over these two decision-making processes. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 reads, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Using this scripture, we can subtitle the world's approach to decision-making as leaning to thine own understanding. Our own understanding is imperfect. We cannot see the future, nor can we see our ultimate potential. But the world's process, when we rely on it, goes ahead with that limited understanding anyway. Similarly, using this scripture, we can subtitle the Lord's process and approach to decision-making as trusting in the Lord. The Lord does see the future and only he knows our divine potential. Thus, his approach requires trusting the Lord. 
C.S. Lewis described this great truth when he likened our mortal lives to a house undergoing renovations. He said, at first, perhaps, we can understand what God is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that does not seem to make sense. He is building quite a different house from the one we thought of. We thought we were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. And therein lies the real reason, the key reason, we need to make decisions following the Lord's process. He is building a palace far beyond our wildest dreams. Helaman summarized the difference between making decisions the world's way versus the Lord's way when he noted, and thus we can behold how false and also the unsteadiness of the hearts of the children of men. Yea, we can see that the Lord in his great infinite goodness doth bless and prosper those who put their trust in him. Left to our own understanding, we are unintentionally false and unsteady. But through trusting in the Lord with humility, gratitude, and faith, we are blessed and prosper. If we trust in the Lord and acknowledge him, not only will he direct our paths, but Proverbs goes on to say that then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble, and her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. The scriptures are filled with examples of wise men and women trusting in the Lord and following his process of decision-making. Keeping in mind those three important components of a righteous spiritual attitude, humility, gratitude, and faith, let's take a closer look at some of those examples. In Genesis, we read the amazing story of Joseph of Egypt, whom the Lord prospered because of his righteousness. In spite of being sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood, Joseph trusted in the Lord. He did not follow the world's process of decision-making. Rather, he remained fully committed to making decisions in the Lord's way. For example, when presented with repeated, repeated seductive choices by Potiphar's wife, he remained true to a spiritual perspective and a spiritual attitude. And when presented with the butlers and bakers' dreams in prison, Joseph humbly stated that interpretations belong to God, rather than taking the credit for himself. Later, after several more years of separation from his family, Joseph gratefully rejoiced that God hath made me forget all my toil, and hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph retained his great faith throughout his epic ordeal. When finally reunited with his starving family, he acknowledged the Lord's hand, saying, God did send me before you to preserve life. What an excellent example of trusting in the Lord and maintaining a consistently spiritual perspective and attitude. In addition to Joseph, consider the stories of Ruth, Job, Esther, and Nephi, and so many others. These courageous men and women trusted in the Lord with humility, gratitude, and faith. 
Faced with life-altering circumstances and decisions, they chose to trust in the Lord rather than lean to their own understanding. By so doing, they were blessed with safety and peace, just as we will be. Following the Lord's process of decision-making results in consistently and powerfully righteous decisions. And that pattern of righteous decisions, in turn, develops our character. Elder Richard G. Scott explained the relationship between making decisions the Lord's way and forming righteous character. He said, Character is woven quietly from the threads of hundreds of correct decisions, like practice sessions. When strengthened by obedience and worthy acts, correct decisions form a fabric of character that brings victory in times of great need. He then went on to say that righteous character provides the foundation of spiritual strength that enables you to make difficult, extremely important decisions correctly when they seem overpowering. Building our character is certainly part of the Lord's process of building us into a palace. Trusting in the Lord actually becomes an upward spiral. When we trust in the Lord, our faith and character are strengthened. And the stronger our character and the deeper our faith, the better we are able to trust in the Lord, and so on, all resulting in better decision-making. This was certainly the case with Nephi in the opening scenes of the Book of Mormon. From the very first verse, we have evidence of Nephi's righteous spiritual attitude and of his humility, gratitude, and faith. When he states, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days. In the following pages, Nephi is faced with many critical decisions. Should he follow his father in fleeing Jerusalem? Should he believe his father's prophecies of the imminent destruction of the Jews? We know that Nephi had a great desire to know of the mysteries of God. In other words, he had a desire to know God's will for him. And that desire led him to action. He did cry unto the Lord, and the Lord visited him, softening his heart and teaching him to believe the words of his father. This proved to be an important character-building exercise because an even greater decision lay directly ahead. Should Nephi follow his father's counsel to return to Jerusalem to obtain the brass plates in spite of the inherent dangers and in spite of his brother's unwillingness? We probably all know Nephi's faith-filled reply by heart. I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the things which he commandeth them. Elder Richard G. Scott has described this type of motivating faith as follows. Motivating faith is centered in trust in the Lord and in his willingness to answer your needs. The consistent, willing exercise of faith increases your confidence and ability to employ the power of faith. Again, we see 
the upward spiral that results from a spiritual perspective. The stronger our faith, the more we are able to trust in the Lord and the better the decisions we make. The scriptures, plus the lives and experiences of modern-day prophets, are filled with excellent examples of making decisions the Lord's way. I urge you to study the scriptures with a focus on searching these out. The lessons we learn from the scriptures will strengthen us and fortify our determination to seek the Lord's will in our lives as well. I am very fortunate to have had opportunities at your age to improve my decision-making abilities. It may surprise you to learn that I struggled with the decision of whether or not to serve a mission. I was young for my grade, so all of my friends left for their missions a full year before I was eligible to go. By that time, I was quite comfortable in my studies, an intercollegiate sports team, and plus I was dating a young woman whom I thought was just perfect. I was a novice at trusting in the Lord. I will be forever grateful for the wise counsel of my father and bishop at that critical crossroads. Their loving guidance helped me see the deficiency of leaning on my own understanding, and I began the upward spiral of trusting the Lord. By the time I met Margaret following my mission to Scotland, I had added depth and breadth to my spiritual attitude and spiritual perspective. Experience had made trusting in the Lord much easier for me, and I knew right away the correct answer to the questions, whom should I marry and when? Together, Margaret and I have made following the Lord's process for decision-making a habit. I testify to you that one of the great blessings of forming this habit as a young adult is that in later years, the Lord will know he can trust you to respond to the directions of his spirit. Not all decisions are anticipated the way choosing what to study or who to date might be. We aren't necessarily given a roadmap of the hard choices that we will encounter. Margaret and I came upon just such a surprise decision a few years ago, one that required great trust in the Lord and great faith in responding to the directions of his spirit. Before leaving to preside over the England-London mission in the summer of 2000, we prayerfully decided to sell our family home and retire from my career. However, three years later, near the end of our mission, we felt strong promptings to change our plans and return to Boston. Due to our earlier decision, we needed to find a place to live. After an extensive search, we purchased a small home, just right for the two of us, about a mile from where we had lived for over 20 years. We moved in and immediately went to work, renovating and improving it like we had done to prior homes several times before. For the next eight months, we lived there very comfortably. Then one Sunday afternoon, I received a strong impression from the spirit that we needed to move. Frankly, I was shocked by this very prompting. Another move was not in my plans, and it made certainly no sense to me. Yet I knew I had been told that we needed to move. Later that day, I drove down the street we had lived on for so many years before our mission. 
I hadn't been on that street for nearly four years, not since we had sold our home there. But as I followed the gentle guidance of the Spirit, I noticed a nice home across the street from the home we had raised our family in. It had a for sale sign out in front. And I remember the thought quickly crossed my mind. I wonder if that is the house the Lord wants us to buy. For two weeks, I pondered the clear impression I'd had, wondering why we needed to move. Unable to make sense of it, but trusting in the Lord with humility, gratitude, and faith, I concluded I just needed to act upon the prompting. And so I finally told Margaret what had happened. She, too, was shocked. But we both felt we should do as the Spirit had prompted. So we put our home on the market and prepared to move. After a few days of house hunting, we knew that the house across the street from our previous home was indeed the one we should buy. Now, if you knew the Boston housing market, especially at that time and as I did, you would have known as I did that this was not likely to be a wise financial decision. We had been in our other home for less than a year, and now we were selling it and buying a home larger than we needed, but we felt strongly prompted that it was what the Lord wanted us to do. We were grateful for the Lord's guidance, even though we did not understand it. The day after we moved, Margaret walked next door to the elderly neighbor she had been acquainted with when we had lived on this street before. She knew Barbara had been raised in the church, but had become inactive when she went away to college. She hadn't been back to church for over 60 years. And though we had been neighbors previously, Barbara had seemed uninterested in the gospel, even when we would invite her to learn more about it. When Margaret entered her kitchen that morning, Barbara threw her arms around her and immediately began telling her about her 40-year-old daughter, Karen. Karen was dying of stomach cancer, and she and her husband were now living with Barbara so she could help with Karen's care. Before Margaret could even think, the words came out of her mouth, Barbara, do you think that Karen would like a priesthood blessing? Without hesitating, Barbara said, Yes, I know that she would. The next day, a close friend from the ward joined me, and we gave Karen a priesthood blessing. It was then that Margaret and I began to understand why the Lord needed us to buy the house next door to Barbara and her daughter, Karen. A mile away would not have been sufficient for what the Lord needed us to do. Our trust in the Lord had created an amazing opportunity and blessing for us. Within a week, we started sharing the gospel with Karen. We visited with her almost daily, teaching her and comforting her and her mother in any way we could. Karen started attending church with us and loved the people in the ward and everything she was learning. She felt like she was coming home. Within a couple of months, she was baptized. Karen said that day that she was baptized was the happiest day of her life. Even though she only lived three months after her baptism, she felt such great joy and happiness and peace from the Lord. Even in her pain and misery, she felt the Lord's arms around her 
as she neared the end of mortality. Those last few months of her life were truly a gift from the Lord to all of us. We felt a little like Joseph of Egypt, trusting in the Lord, though we didn't completely understand his plan. We didn't save an entire region from physical starvation, but with his help, we did help feed a small family struggling with spiritual hunger at a critical time in their lives. That experience provided a capstone to all we had previously learned of trusting in the Lord. Elder Neil A. Maxwell summarized beautifully the blessings of habitually trusting in the Lord. He said, your personal possibilities, not for status and position, but for service to God and mankind, are immense. If you will but trust the Lord to lead you from what you are to what you have the power to become. If you are righteous, his purposes will be served. Remember, each of us can choose to trust in the Lord, letting him develop us into a palace rather than settling for a cottage. And what better time to commit to developing the habit of following the Lord's process of decision-making and learning to trust in him than during this critical period of young adulthood, full of frequent and significant decision-making opportunities. If we can shift our focus from the world's way of making decisions to the Lord's way, our paths will be safe and peaceful and our destination truly divine. I testify that the Lord's promise is sure. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and indeed he shall direct thy paths. Rather than focusing on ease and prestige, may we concentrate on eternal considerations as we make life's daily decisions. I pray that we will be able to replace feelings of self-centeredness, entitlement, and political correctness with an attitude of humility, gratitude, and faith through righteous obedience to God's commandments. Like Saul on the road to Damascus, may we each ask, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? I have a deep and abiding testimony, brothers and sisters, of the sanctity of agency. Our free will is literally the only thing that is truly ours. Therefore, the ultimate consecration is in yielding ourselves to God. I pray that as we seek to know the Lord's will for us, as we humbly and gratefully make decisions in his way, we will feel strengthened and enhanced, faithfully contributing to the building up of his kingdom and that we will enjoy his promised peace in the process. And I say this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, Our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. 
go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.